we're looking at a, a series that I've entitled Till Death Do Us Part. Till death do us part. And again, this, this may not be um, for children's uh, ears today. And so if you uh, have a child that maybe is uh, seventh and under or whatever, and uh, you want them not to be exposed to some of the things that we're going to talk about today, again, we're going to talk about some biblical things. Everything we're going to talk about is biblical, but it may not be the maturity level that your kid is at. So feel free to take them. We're not going to ever judge. Or, you know, if you want to take them right now, we've got a great class for them uh, that we've uh, specifically you know, made up for them, so they can go out to the north for you right now if you uh, feel led to take them at this point. Um, because we do not, we do not hold anything back as long as it's what God's word has told us. Amen. And so we're going to talk about some subjects today, and we're going to talk about th- some things that uh, we kind of got started in uh, the past few weeks. Here's the thing. Here's our desire for this whole series. Our desire in the series, till death do us part, is to equip everyone with a foundation and the tools to last till death do they part. Again, our world has, has tried to change the vows that mean something. They've tried to change the vows from till death do us part to so long as we both like each other. So long as we both feel love. <laughs> so long as we both get along. It's so long as we don't have any irreconcilable differences. Can I just share with you today, Heather and I have many irreconcilable differences. (laughs) But the difference is we are committed till death do us part. And that's the foundation that we're trying to lay for you as singles, as teenagers, as young adults, even as married couples to last until death do you part. Here's, here's something that's amazing to me. I, I, I see this all the time. I see couples, they've been married maybe 35, 40 years getting divorced. And you say, well, why, why does, how does that happen? Well, it's because maybe they haven't built their foundation or don't have the right tools. And the only reason they stayed together was for the kids. We want to give you the right tools, the right uh, foundation so that you can last till death do you part. Now, here's the thing, and we always say this at our church because it's just who we are. We are not perfect. Amen? None of us are perfect. Nobody in this church is perfect. Heather and I aren't perfect. But here's our desire. Our desire is to move from pleasing ourselves to moving to pleasing the Lord. Right? It's not about us. It's not about, uh, you know, what, what makes us happy. See, our culture says, whatever makes you happy, go for it. Whatever, you know, will, will satisfy you, you go for it. As a Christian, here's our goal. Whatever makes him happy, that's what we're going to go for. Whatever pleases him, that's what we're going to go for. And so that's our desire. It's not to, you know, you may be thinking today, you know, I've, I've messed up in a lot of areas in, in relationships, and I just don't get it right. I don't, I've, not, I've not gotten it right. Listen. Welcome to Thousand Hills Ranch Church where we don't get things right all the time. And, and it's not an excuse. We don't excuse sin, but we will speak the truth in love so that you can turn from that and live for God. That's our desire. It's not to judge. It's not to make you feel like a jerk. It's to show you and give you the right tools so that you can make relationships last till death do you part, until you know, marriage and, until death do you part. The part one, and I'm going to just do a little recap right here. Part one, we had to establish our authority. That was part one. And you say, well, who's our authority? Well, as Christians, our authority is God's word. Amen? It's not the culture. It's not the magazines. It's not media. It's not TV. It's not the movies. It's not any of that stuff. Our authority is the word of God. God, if you want to know about relationships, this is the greatest authority. The God of the universe wrote this book, and he knows everything about relationships. You know why? Because he created them. And so God and God's word is our authority. We've uh, we've had a key verse that's Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9, and it says this. You can look it up on the screen. It says, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they will no longer be two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. That is our desire. That is our goal. That is God's desire and God's goal for us in relationships and in marriage. 
So part one, we had to establish the authority. Part two, we shared about the, some things that all teenagers, teenage, uh, you know, parents of teenagers, uh, single adults need to know about sex, dating, and marriage. And we're going to continue that today. Are you guys ready? Are you excited? Can you get a little energy? Because I'm not, I'm not feeling all the energy. <laughs> we need to bring a little yeehaw back. You know what I'm saying? Has anybody got the, the horn that, that we had that one time? The Dixie horn? Anybody got that on your phone? I, I'm feeling that today. I need it because I don't have a whole lot of energy. So I need your help today. Well, today we're going to continue our look at what single adults and teenagers and even parents need to know about, you know, sex, dating, and marriage. Number one was this, and I'm going to do, again, a short recap. Last week we looked at this. Number one, being single doesn't make you second class. Some of you single adults, some of you teenagers think, you know, I'm I'm just not going to I mean, God can't use me. God can't do anything with me because I'm single. I'm not complete. Listen, God, if you have a relationship with God, God has completed you. You You know why? Because you have been made in his image. And he will give you everything that you need. And here's the thing. As a single person, God can use you just as much, maybe even more, as someone that's married. And you say, well, how do I know? How do I know, you know, God wants to use me as a single adult or as, as somebody that's single? Listen, Jesus Christ was used. Remember? Jesus Christ walked the face of the earth, died at the age of 33, and he, he went to his deathbed, and, and he rose, obviously, amen? He rose, but he rose, and he, and he died never having sex with another woman. Again, one of his greatest miracles, I think. <laughs> I, you know, I, but here's the thing. You say, well, what did he do? He, he fulfilled the purpose that God had for him. He served others. You say, what do I do? What do I do while I'm single? Prepare the, for the purpose that God has for you. Fulfill the purpose that God has for you as in a single adult and then serve others. Give God all you've got. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't stay at the hitching post waiting for God to show up with your boy or your girl. Get to work and get to riding for Christ. That's number one. You're not second class if you're single. Number two is this. Parents are called to protect the purity of their children. Parents, you are called to protect the purity of your children. And you say, how do you do that? Here, I'll give you a few things that you need to teach them. Here's number one. You need to teach them that sex is awesome. Can I? <laughs> I mean, I thought I'd get a, a few men at least. At least to say amen on that. But sex is awesome. I mean, some of you guys have been raised in a culture where sex was gross. You didn't talk about it. It was the unforeseen. I mean, you didn't say a word about it. Listen, that's not the way to teach your kids. You know why? Because when they get into a, a marriage relationship, they're going to think they're dirty. Because they've, they've been taught it all their life that sex is gross. Listen, sex was not created by Satan. It wasn't created by Playboy. It wasn't created by, you know, some porn, you know, pervert. It was created by the creator God as a gift for our pleasure. But it has to be done within the boundaries of marriage. Any type of sin, any type of sex outside of marriage is sin. It's just what it is. You know how I know that? Because the authority of God's word tells me that. It's not my Christian, you know, desire. It's not Thousand Hills Ranch Church mandate. It's the word of God. And so, again, teach them that sex is awesome. Here's something else. Teach, our, teach your kids that God's standard for their children or for, for, our, for his children is to only date other Christians. The Bible teaches us that you should not be unequally yoked. In other words, you should not be yoked together with an unbeliever. And so don't be dating Someone that you're not going to marry. Don't be dating a non-Christian because the devil will suck you down and he will pull you down. Number three was this. Teach our kids to avoid setups for sexual failure. In other words, setups, not talking about blind date setups, but setups like setting boundaries. Set boundaries, right? I mean, don't be making out in the car. Don't be making out laying down. Don't, you know, all those boundaries that you should have set. I know some of you teenagers have already set those. Hopefully, some of you, you young adults that are single, you need to set some boundaries before you get in the back seat, right? I mean, it's a little late. 
Anybody with me? <laughs> Once you get to the, the dark park and you're making out, that's not the time to go, dang, sh- we should make some boundaries, babe. <laughs> I mean, seriously. That's not the time to do it. Do it beforehand and don't rely on your date to do the boundaries. You do them yourself. Um, and here's, the, here's another thing. Hold your kids accountable. Parents, it's okay to invade your kids' privacy. I'm just telling you. And do I respect my kids? Am I going to respect my kids? Yes, but I can only trust them so far. You know how I know? Because I could only trust myself so far when I was a teenager. (laughs) And so hold your kids accountable. Here's the second thing, or the last thing. Sexual purity is a mental issue. It's not just a, a physical thing where we just have to have sex to be impure. No, it's a mental thing that we can sin just as well mentally as we can physically. So those are the things that we begin with, and uh, we're going to continue that today. Okay, today we're going to move on with number three. So if you missed last week, like you just said, number one was being single doesn't make you second class. Number two, parents are called to protect the purity of your children. And number three is what we're going to start with today. Number three is guard your heart, but don't kill the desire. Last week we talked about um, Proverbs 4.23. says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And we hit, hit on that a little bit about how you need to, um, you know, set boundaries, don't share too much of your heart. Just like, you know, physically our heart is the wellspring of our life. If your heart physically is in bad shape, you're in bad shape. Um, it's the same thing with your mental state. If you're mental and emotional, you know, if you're not uh, healthy there in the heart, then um, you're not going to be healthy in, in other parts of your life as well. Um, some examples of this, you know, Facebook is huge now, social media, a lot of teenagers, they get on there and, you know, it's Valentine's Day and their boyfriend of three days sent them a dozen roses and they're like, oh, I love Johnny. You know, I mean, that's, that's sharing a little too much too soon. And we're not saying to never um, say I love you or things like that, but guard, guard your heart and just remember that whatever of your heart that you give away before marriage, you don't get back. And so just remember um, to protect that and save it for your, for your future spouse. And kind of like what we, what we talked about last week, um, just remember, what would I want my spouse to be doing? Like, and, and try to keep that perspective as well. Um, an example of Bo and I, when we dated, um, he never told me he loved me. I never told him that I loved him. And this is what worked for us until we got engaged. And that's the first time that he told me that he loved me. And we're not saying that that works for everyone, but it was for us, it was a great standard. It allowed us to um, protect our hearts and guard them and, and keep that um, focus right there. Um, and, it, and it kept a lot of mystery and wonder in our relationship, too, which was exciting. I, we never talked about marriage until he proposed, and so we didn't have our future planned out. And so when that moment happened, it was an exciting time and something that was, that was fresh for us. And, and, I'm, and, and we're not saying that's for everybody. If you've told your boyfriend and you know God's in your relationship and you've told him you loved him, that's fine. You set your own pace for your own relationship. And, and Heather's fixing to say this, going slower is a lot better than going too fast. Can I get an amen on that? Because if you throw up all the emotions that you have on your boyfriend, I love you. You're my dream come true. And then you go, it's time to break up. Then it's like, holy crap, I've told 16 girls that I loved them, and, and I didn't really love any of them. So again, guard your heart, but we're going to get to this, the, the main point right now. Well, another thing I was going to throw out, too, was part of the reason that I didn't say it to him was because he voiced from the beginning as the spiritual rela- uh, leader of our relationship that he was going to lead in all of that. He was going to lead us physically, so I didn't you know, get all over him, because I knew this was his job and his role in our relationship, so he led um, our physical relationship, he led um, the emotional part, I didn't share anything before he did, if he shared it, and if I felt led to share it, I did, if I didn't, I didn't, um, but he and led that, and let me s- Yeah, and, and again, that's something that maybe you haven't been taught to do, as guys, God has called us to be the leaders of our relationships, that's just a godly mandate. And you say, well, I don't know how to do that. And, and I, can I just say, I'm sorry that you don't know how to do that. It's, it's, it's not, um, you know, it, I'm sorry that someone hasn't taught you how to do that. And that's why we're teaching you today how to do that. Does that make sense? So don't feel like a jerk. I don't know how to lead in a relationship. Listen, we're going to give you some tools on how to do that. 
And one of the things that I wanted to do and I was taught was I was supposed to lead the relationship. So I told Heather, I said, Heather, when it's time for us to make out and kiss and play tonsil hockey, you, you will know. <laughs> you will know. And so, and again, I, I communicated, I probably over-communicated with her. Yes. But it was better for me to over over communicate so that she doesn't go back to the dorm when she's in college and go, I wonder what Bo's thinking. I wonder where we are in our relationship. I wonder what's going on. That shouldn't be happening in relationships. If you're just friends, communicate that. If that's all you want out of the relationship, communicate that. If you want a date, communicate that. Guys, communicate the transition of your relationship. If you say, I want to take this to the next level, and I really don't know what that looks like, but that's what God has shown me, then communicate that. Why? Because it sets her at ease. She's not going, hey, well, you know, what's he doing? I mean, you know, I call it define the relationship. Have a DTR. Because you needed to define the relationship so that you're not wondering what's going on and, and, and being misled. Okay, so back to the point of uh, guard your heart, but don't kill the desire. And you, you might be wondering kind of what that means, but some, um, I would say, over-religious people that we know, they, they want to just completely kill the desire. Um, you know, it's like, relationships aren't important. I don't need anyone else. Um, I'm fine by myself. I'm in love with God, and no one's going to come in between us. I mean, kind of that over-the-top, um, when deep down you know that they truly do want that desire. Here, here's the thing that I've learned about these people. They're the first ones to get married. <laughs> They're the I mean, the people that say, I'm never going to date. I'm never going to get married. I'm, I'm in love with God, and God is number one in my life, and nothing's ever going to come between, that, between us. They're the first ones that I marry. They're the first. I, I had kids like that in my youth group that say, you know, I'm never going to get married. Oh, yeah, whatever. And I married. I, I led their, you know, wedding. So, anyways, don't be over-religious about this. Don't be over-religious. Um. And then, because the, if you are like that, when you do finally enter into a relationship, you feel like you're compromising. You feel like um, you're, I guess, for better lack of better term, you're, you feel like you're cheating on God because he's always been your number one, and now you have someone else in your life, and you're trying to figure out how does this work. And Bo and I had this conversation several times because, I mean, we were both, you know, like he said last week, um, you know, we were both running the race, and then we just kind of looked side by side, and, and there we were. And so, I mean, the Lord was number one in my life. The Lord was number one in Bo's life. And we had this conversation of, you know, how do we um, lo love God and keep him first in our lives but still do what we know, you know, he's called us to this relationship. We feel like it's a God-given blessing. Um, and what we, you know, finally kind of realized was that if, if we're living for God and he's number one in our lives, we can honor him through that relationship and still keep him number one. But we can bring him glory um, by, you know, by the way that we honor him in our dating relationship. So if God's given you the relationship, don't, or the desire for a relationship, don't kill it. Just learn how to control it. Okay, that's huge. Don't kill it, but learn how to control it. And the only way to do this is to give God your life. And that sounds easy. And we're not talking about just, you know, praying a prayer and accepting Christ. We're talking about making him the Lord of your life. A lot of people claim to be Christians, um, but they haven't made him the Lord of their life. If someone's the Lord of your life, you do everything that you can to please them, to honor them, and to do what you know that they've called you to do. So you must know Jesus as your Savior. And, and this is why in 2 Timothy 2.7, it says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. In other words, of self-control. So the only way that you can um, have the self-control that you need is to have that personal relationship with Christ and allow him to give you that power. And so if you're a Christian, you have that power, but you have to learn how to tap into that power. Um, and, and, a, and a way that you can do this is pray. And again, that sounds so simple, but your prayer life needs to be very healthy. If you'll look at Philippians 4, 6, and if you're not writing anything down, at least write this verse down. This is one of the most amazing verses, I believe, um, in the Bible, and I know that it's worked in my life time and time again, but Philippians 4, 6, and I'm going to go ahead and read verse 7 as well. I love it too, but it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And then verse 7 says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So how do you guard your heart? You pray and you ask him 
to help you to not be anxious. You ask him to help you guard your heart. Um, how many teenagers in here, and feel free to raise your hands, please, have ever wanted a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Every single teenager. Any teenagers better, ever wanted a boyfriend or a girlfriend? How many's ever? Okay, okay, stop lying. How many of you have ever been anxious about having a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Wanting anxious anxiously you didn't to have, have a boyfriend. Or, well, I remember a Thank time you. when I was in college. So I was, uh, uh, yeah, I wasn't even a teenager anymore. I was twenty or twenty-one, and um, I, I was interested in Bo, but for some reason he wasn't saved or something, and he wasn't interested in me. I'm not sure what the deal was. That was there. a joke. I was saved. But I remember I was in my rent house that I lived in, and um, we didn't have any furniture in it. And I was just like, man, what is the deal? Why do I have this desire and, and everything if it's not God's timing or if it's not his will? Or I don't know what the deal is, but for some reason it just wasn't working um, according to my timetable and to the way that I envisioned it and wanted it to be. And so I sat down um, on our dining room floor because, again, we had no <coughs> furniture. And I opened up my Bible and I read this first. And I was like, okay, do not be anxious about anything, okay? I shouldn't be anxious about this. Um but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, um, present your request to God, and then his peace will fill your life. And so that's what I did. In this verse, I began to memorize it. I began to just meditate on it. And he did. He got me to the point where I was, you know, I still had that desire, but I was at peace with it. And I was thanking him for what was going to happen. Um, even if it didn't look like what I wanted it to look like, I still had that peaceful attitude and that prayerful heart. And so the Lord will bless you for that if you truly seek him and um try to apply his instruction to your life so that again this first teaches us not to be anxious but to thank him for the desire that you have and ask him to help you control it so prayer is one of the most powerful weapons that you can have alongside his word so the point is don't kill the god-given desire for sex love or relationship control it through the power of christ now here's the thing some of you guys have done that and that is amazing some of you guys have given god control You've asked him to, to, to take a control of your thoughts. You've given him your life. But some of you, and this is where, again, where I'm going to just speak honest with you, and, and this is where you probably are not going to hear what I'm fixing to say in a different church. Some of you have given control of your life over to a another, I don't even know how to describe it, another person or another um, oh, desire that um, is controlling you. Now, here's what I mean by that. And here's number four. This is, this is point number four. We just went through number three. Number four is this. Pornography and pleasing yourself are not holy alternatives to sex. Let me say that again. And, and I know you're going to blush, and it's okay. Pornography and pleasing yourself, in other words, do I need to explain that? Okay, thank you very much. I don't want to have to. <laughs> Pornography and pleasing yourself are not holy alternatives to having sex. Now, again, some of you are, you know, you're living for God. God's got control of your life. But some of you have given your control over to pornography. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, you're not, you're not in a relationship with a, 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 a person that's real. You're in a relationship with a mistress called porn. And you think, well, no, that's not, I mean, that doesn't happen in church. Are you kidding me? Are you that naive? Oh, no, 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 not with church people, not with, you know, people that, that love Jesus. It can happen to any of us. It can happen to me. Pornography, let me give you some statistics on pornography. And I, I want to lead you to a, uh, a website. If you struggle with pornography or if you know of somebody that's struggling with pornography, this is the website that you need to go to. It's called Church. Dot com. And you say, was well, that a real website? Absolutely. I'm not pulling your chain. I'm not trying to get you to look at something you shouldn't. TripleXChurch.com. It's the greatest website, greatest church that is reaching out to a, a, a culture that is addicted to pornography and giving them the help and the tools to overcome the addiction. But let me give you some statistics on, on, on porn. Um, and this is just the, the teen statistics. Number one, or, listen to this. 87% of teens are online. We all know that, right? 87% of teens are online. American teens aged 13, ages 13 to 18 spend more than 72 hours a week using an electronic device. 
Do we all know that too? Uh, whether it's a cell phone or the internet or TV or music or video games, American teenagers 13 to 18 are spending 72 hours a week on an electrical device. Here's, the, here's some more statistics. One in seven youths have received sexual solicitation online. One in seven. I would think it would be more than that. Uh, am I the only one who gets sexual solicitation in my email? Anybody else get that? Thank you for being honest. But our teenagers are really getting it. A the average age of, of first Internet exposure to porn is 11 years old. It's the average age. 90% of teens age 8 to 16 have viewed porn online, mostly while doing homework. Can I just, can I, and that just floors me, can I just give you parents a, a word of advice? Put your laptop, put your, t your, uh, your, your monitor screen of your computer in the family room and have it facing out so that it's not facing the wall. Does that make sense? It's a practical piece of advice. Don't let them take the laptop to their room. Don't let them take the laptop into a different area. Put it in the family room and let the laptop face out practical advice you say my kids will never do it okay you can you can sit in the naive world that you want to sit in but listen 80 here's another thing 90 percent of teenagers uh i already read that one 80 percent of 15 to 17 year olds have had multi-hardcore exposures to porn that's eight out of ten kids some of you parents haven't even had a conversation with your kids about porn, and they're 14, 15, 16 years old. You need to be having the conversation about it. And you say, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Listen, you need to, to go to this website, triplexchurch.com, and they have some great resources for that. Here's, here's something that maybe you didn't know about our website. Our website, when we created our website, you know what I did? They asked for keywords. They said, okay, what keywords do you want um, to put in here so that when someone types in this word, it pulls them to your website. You know what words I put in? Because of the nature of our church and the people that we're trying to reach, I didn't put in, you know, church, worship, praise. I put in slut, sex, porn, whiskey. You know why? Because when someone's looking for those things, guess what, the, guess what church website they're going to be led to? They're going to be led to ours. You say, oh, yeah. I mean, that's really creative. It is. Thank you. <coughs> uh, yeah. I, I'm not trying to reach people that already love Jesus. I'm trying to reach people that are addicted to porn. And that are, that are addicted to whiskey. And, you know, I'm trying to reach those type of people. And here's the thing about pornography. Pornography and the porno porn industry is doing the same thing. You know what else they're doing? 26. Th st statistics show that at least 26 children's characters, names, children's characters like, like uh, Pokemon or Action Man or, or you know, Superman, they, the over 26 children character names lead to over thousands and thousands of porn links. So when your kid w gets online and starts typing in, you know, Dora the Explorer, guess what? The porn industry will lead them straight to some porn sites. So you have to be careful on what they're doing and you have to be in charge of what they're doing. Does that make sense? Just like I want people that, that don't know Jesus to come to our church and find Jesus, just the porn industry is the same way. And if they can get you addicted, they will. Um, and so, again, if porn isn't your, you know, it isn't your father's pornography anymore. It's not just found in a magazine under the mattress. It's found in every cell phone. It's found in every computer. It's found on every, I mean, it's found in every TV. And so don't be naive about this. And you say, well, I'm not... I'm not having sex. If I look at porn, that, that's no big deal. I mean, I'm not having sex. Okay. Matthew 5, 28. Look at the scripture on the screen. It says this. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
You say, what's that saying? You know what that's saying? It's saying if you look at a woman lustfully, if you, and and again, can I just explain what lust is? Because some of you guys think, well, I can't even look at a girl. No, it's not about looking at a girl. Here's, Here's how I've always said it. The first look is okay. The second look is not okay. Like if I notice a girl and she's hot and I look at her and I go, man, she's good looking. That's one thing. But if I look at her again and go, man, what I would like to do with her. That's lust. Right? So some of you guys are trying to kill the first look. I don't, I don't try to kill the first look because that's a God-given desire, right? Unless it's porn. <laughs> Once you, unless it's porn. I don't, I don't look at porn magazines and go, hey, that's the first look. Woohoo! You're t- he's talking about just seeing. I'm just, just talking about life. walking into Atwoods and seeing a good-looking girl. You know what I'm saying? Are you with me? <laughs> Yeah, I, I just w- want to throw in something real quick, too. Um, I was reading that. How many of you have read the book Real Marriage by Mark Driscoll or heard of it or anything? Anyone? Wow. Y'all need to get that book and read it. Um, <coughs> anyways, Mark Driscoll is a, a pastor of Mars Hills Church in Seattle, yep. Washington. And he, when we've got a lot of information from his book as well, but he, um, this is a mega church in Seattle, and he was talking about how when he was 9 or 11 years old, he was watching HBO at a friend's house and saw a picture of a naked lady. And to this day, and he's in his 30s, that's, he can still recall that image. And so just know that, um, and guys probably especially struggle with this more because they're very visual. That's the way that God made them. Um, but once you get that image in your mind or once you allow yourself to be exposed to that, that's there with you the rest of your life. And so just keep that in mind um, for your kids, for these teenage boys, for this 11-year-old guy. I mean, he still has that memory and that picture with him um, from several years ago. So, And you might be thinking, well, okay, Bo, I know, no porn's bad now. Thank you for describing that. How do I overcome the temptation? Here's, here's just like you can control your good desires and you don't have to kill them, you can also control the lust. You can do it. Uh, you, but here's how you do it. You have to do it supernaturally. I can't control lust in my own mind. Can anybody do it on their own? Anybody? Okay, I'm trying to, can you help me here? Raise your hand if you think you can do it on your own. Nobody, right? We can only do that through Christ. It has to be supernatural. Look at 2 Corinthians 10 uh, verses 4 and 5. It says, the weapons that we fight with as Christians are not the weapons of the, of the world. On the contrary, they are divine power to demolish. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And listen to this. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You know what God is saying right there? He's saying if you want to overcome the temptation to look at porn, you have to fight it with the supernatural power of God. It's the only way that you can overcome it. Here's what I found. When I go to lusting in my mind for someone that I see on TV or Internet or, you know, whatever, when I go to lusting, I, I, can't, I can't control that. Only God can. That's the only way I know how to do it. And that's what, his, that's what it's saying. We don't fight with the world's, you know, weapons. We fight with God's weapons. It's a supernatural thing and here's something else that I would encourage you to do if you're struggling and men we all struggle and you're a liar if you say you don't struggle with with mental lusting or just lusting here here's something else that I do I replace the thought I don't try to reject it here's what happens when I try to reject a a lustful thought I think about it more I don't want to think about that I don't want to think about that I don't want to think about her I don't want to think about what I saw I don't want to think about it I don't want to think about it and I try to reject it then I think about it more. Here's what I've learned that I have to do. I have to replace it. In other words, I, I can't reject that thought. I have to replace it. And you say, well, what do you replace it with? I replace it with the word of God. In other words, I memorize scriptures so that when the lust comes on the Internet or when the lust comes on in, a, in the mall or wherever I'm at, when I want to make that or have that lustful thought, I recall the word of God and I replace that wrong thought with the truth of God's word. You say, well, what's a great verse for that? Philippians 4, 8. 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's how I replace it. And that's one of the greatest verses that I try to replace it with. Here's another thing. If you're going to try to overcome porn, you need to have accountability. One of the things that XXXChurch.com supplies for all of us is this. And I, 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 I did this just the other day. If you will go to XXXChurch.com, and you will sign up for what they call, uh, I think it's uh, X3, X3 Watch or something like that. You can look it up on there. It's an accountability system. And here's what it does. If I, if I will sign up for this accountability system, if it, here's, here's what it does. If I get on a, a uh, compromising site or a porn site by accident or whether I'm trying to search for it on my own, it will send an email to at least three of my friends. You say, well, that's stupid. Well, if you're saying that's stupid, you're stupid because you're the one who's going to be caught in porn. Here's what, I, and I signed up for it. You say, well, do you have a problem with porn? I don't have a problem with porn, but I could have a problem with porn. You know why? Because I'm a sinner, and I deal with sin just like you. And you say, well, who'd you put in there? I put in my wife, I put in Blake, and I put in, uh, I put in someone, Cody, our elders, and so if I ever accidentally get on a website or if I ever go there intentionally, guess who's going to know about it? Three of my best friends. You say, well, I, I, don't, you know, I, don't, I don't know if I want to do that. If you, if you are struggling, the only way that you're going to overcome it, obviously, is give your life to God and it have some accountability. That's the only way. And so I would encourage you, maybe you parents need to get every one of your kids signed up so that if they ever get on a site like that, then you will know about it. You say, well, I don't want to invade them. Bull, invade them, protect them. They might not thank you now, but they will thank you later. Amen? They will. They will thank you later. Okay, now here's the next thing apart as, as far as porn goes. You say, well, what about pleasing myself? I know you guys want to talk about this. <laughs> what about pleasing myself? Is pleasing myself a holy alternative to sex? And I want to answer this in, in, with two answers, okay? Number one, if you are single, satisfying yourself is not a holy alternative. And you say, well, why? 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 I'm not having sex. If I'm just satisfying myself, I'm not having sex. Why, why is it not a holy alternative? Go back to Matthew 28. Matthew 5, 28. But I tell you, if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, and, has, and he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You say, well, you know, so if I'm pleasing myself, I, I, can, I can do that without committing adultery in my heart. Really? I mean, the only way that, that I know that you can please yourself is to, to lust, right? And you say, well, I don't look at porn magazines. Well, maybe you're looking at the swimsuit issue. I don't know. But listen, it, it is not a holy alternative to please yourself. Here's why. There are future dangers in pleasing yourself before marriage. Let me give you some examples. Satisfying yourself while single can lead to an addictive habit it, th that causes serious damage once you're married. It, and here's, here's how, what it can do. It can build a distance between you and your spouse. It can cause you to avoid sex because you're lazy, therefore you're destroying the intimacy with your spouse. Are you getting this? Are you guys tuning me out because you don't want to talk about this subject? It can become a way to punish your spouse because you're satisfying yourself and you don't have to satisfy her or him. Does that make sense? Are you with me? <laughs> you guys, you're leaving me hanging here. Now, you may be thinking, well, is there ever a valid reason to please yourself in marriage? Now, again, this is something that, that uh, Mark Driscoll covers really well in his book, Real Marriage. You say, well, is there ever a time in marriage for you to be able to satisfy yourself? Is there ever any legitimate reasons for doing that? Well, I believe there are some exceptions in some ways that couples can choose to find fulfillment in certain, certain situations. You say, what situations? What situations would mandate pleasing yourself? What about uh, six weeks waiting after your wife has given birth? 
I mean, this is, I'm just being real with you. Maybe a situation that you and your, your spouse go, hey, let's, let's figure out a way that we can be satisfied while we're waiting. You say, that's ungodly. I don't think so. What about an army guy that goes away for a year? You know, what, you know what can happen in that time? Adultery. You know why? Because they're longing for their husband or their wife. So, you say, well, what are certain situations where it may be valid and godly and holy to do that? I would say those situations may be an opportunity for you as a couple to have a mutual consentment to please yourself. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, go ahead. Don't believe it. Those are just some of the things that, that, I've, that I've thought about. Okay, moving on. Is anyone ready to move on from that? Anybody ready to move <laughs> on? Okay, number five. It's not enough to want a godly mate. You have to strive to be a godly mate. Um, and we're not saying you have to look for someone who's perfect. None of us are perfect. Um, but you do need to expect a good character and godliness out of the person that you date. And just an example of, of character, um, when I talk about my husband's character, to me that's character to prevent a problem that he doesn't have and honor me by signing up for accountability like that. That is a, a godly character in my husband. And another example of Bo's character, and he didn't know I was going to say any of this, but I was just sharing this story the other day. Um, to me, good character is what you do when no one knows that you've done it. Or no one knows, um, you don't do it for a pat on the back, you don't do it for acknowledgement or anything. It's what you do just because that's just who you are. Um, and Bo does a lot of things, and I'm like, man, why'd you do that? You could have just gotten by with it or, or whatever, because um, I guess I have a lack of character. But anyways, <laughs> we went to the state fair one year, and we were um, paying this gal, and, and she gave us way too much money back for our tickets. And we could have, and it was parking, and we could have just gone on and gone into the fair. But no, Bo makes us stop the car, turn around, and go and give this lady um, money back. And this lady's like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. You know, that to me, that shows good character. And that's what we need to look for um, in a future spouse, in, in someone that you're dating. And if you want that kind of character and godliness in the person that you date, you need to strive to be that person yourself. And uh, it's like we talked about last week in Matthew six thirty three. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. We must be seeking him through um, personal quiet time, you know, your Bible study, personal prayer life, um, church, serving in the church. That's another great way to grow is when you get the focus off of yourself and you serve others. That takes your faith to a whole other level and allows you to, to just grow and um, step up. I said whole nother level, and that's all we heard all weekend from the pastor that we were with is whole nother level. So if you want to grow as a Christian, begin serving others. If you're going through a cruddy time, we always say serve. Get up and serve people, and that gets the focus off of yourself and, and onto Christ. Um, so you ride towards the Lord, and then you look and see who's riding next to you, and those are the people that could possibly be um, someone that you could date. And if you're not a committed growing Christian, then a committed growing Christian should not be dating you. And that's hard to hear, but you're causing that person to, to sin or they're sinning by dating you if you're not someone who's growing and striving towards the Lord. Yeah, and I have, I have people come to me all the time, hey, Bo, set me up with that girl that goes to your church. And I'm like, I cannot set you up with this girl who loves Jesus when you're not loving Jesus. Does that make sense? And so some of you are looking for the good godly guy or the good godly girl, but you're not the good love, godly guy and you're not the good godly girl. And so again, it starts, the first is starting with yourself, becoming the godly person that God wants you to be, and then God will provide for you the godly person that, that he wants to provide for you. Mm -hmm. All right, number six, if you're a Christian, your body belongs to God, not to you. And if you have that perspective, it's going to just change the whole way that you date and your relationships. First Corinthians six twenty. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Um, an example of this, and I was trying to think of an example, but um, for girls, how many of you girls like jewelry? Does anyone in here like jewelry, wear jewelry, jewelry. like it? Come on okay. now, jewelry. Um, when it's your own, you can treat it how you want to. You can throw your necklaces together, let them get all knotted up, and then you have to spend hours getting them uh, you know, out of knots and everything else. You can hang it up and, and treat it nicely. You can 
uh, leave it out to where your kids can get it and flush it down the toilet. I mean, when it's yours, you can do with it whatever you want. But when it's someone else's, you probably tend to take care of it. So if you're borrowing something like, for example, I borrowed a couple necklaces from some friends for some Christmas pictures that we were taking. And I hung this jewelry up. I took care of it. I didn't let my kids who wanted to, you know, play with it, I didn't let them touch it. I took care of it because it wasn't mine. And so when you have that same perspective of your body to realize that you don't own your body, God owns your body, and it was bought at the, you know, the highest price possible with the death and, um, of Jesus Christ. And so when you realize that, that your body as a Christian belongs to God, not to yourself, then hopefully that will allow you to um, get the right perspective and make choices that would honor him and not do things that you know wouldn't honor him with, with your body. Um, so therefore, since God owns your body, he has every right to tell you what to do with your mind and your body. Right. And again, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up, but I've got, I've got a couple things. Number seven is this. God would not tell you to abstain from impurity if it wasn't possible to obey. Did you hear that? Some of you guys are looking at me like, Bo, you're stupid, man. How in the world, in this world of full of sex and drugs and alcohol, are you telling me that I can abstain and be, imp- be pure until I'm married? How the heck do you think that that's possible? Listen, God will not ask you to do something that he doesn't equip you to do. He's not asking you to give up eating food. He's not asking you to give up, you know, drinking water. He's not asking you to give up the essentials of life. And some of you guys are like, sex is essential for life. And while I agree to a certain extent (laughs) that sex is a great thing, (laughs) I've got a few laughs out of that. I don't know what else to say. You know, I rate salvation, sex. Just kidding, right? Not really. (laughs) I believe it's one of the greatest gifts God ever gave me. Amen? That's what I'm talking about. I waited 28 years for it. It was worth the wait, babe. (laughs) Christ, listen, God will never give you something and ask you to do something that he doesn't and give you the, empo- the power to do it. Titus 2.12 says, The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and the worldly passions and to, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. It's his grace that teaches us that. Not his heavy hand. It's his grace. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, it says, His divine power has given us everything, everything, We need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and godliness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You say, how do I say no to that video that I shouldn't watch? You can only do it through Christ. But listen. You don't have to watch it. He can give you the power. You, you, don't, you don't have to click on that internet site. He can give you the power. You don't have to fondle your dating partner. He can give you the power not to do that. You say, well, I don't have that power. You need to know Christ so that he can give you the power. Now, listen, you're not going to be perfect either. Heather and I weren't perfect I mean, we made out way too long at certain times. We had lustful thoughts, or at least I did. None? I mean, really? That must be the miracle of women. Because I'm telling you, I lusted for my wife. So, uh, again, you think, well, I, you know, I'm gonna, I got to be perfect in all this? Absolutely not. But there's no excuse when you know Christ You can't just say, no, he didn't give me the power. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You have the power to overcome everything in Christ. And so here's the last thing, and we're done. Number eight is this. And this is important because we live in a world, we live in a church, we live in a life that is imperfect. And I want you to hear this. This is is for everybody. 
If you have committed sexual sin, you can be forgiven and recommit your life to purity from this point on. Did you hear that? Some of you guys are in here today and you've committed all the sexual sin that we've described. Listen, if you have committed sexual sin, you can be forgiven. You say, how do you know, Bo? Because I've been forgiven. God came, he sent his son to die on a cross so that we might have life, so that we might have forgiveness. You say, well, I, how? I've gone too far. I can, I, can I really be washed again, clean? Can I really be forgiven and pure again? The answer is absolutely. Every Christian in here is a sinner. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But thank God, through his compassion, through his mercy, he offers us forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And so maybe you're here today and you're going, dang it, I can't ever come back. I can't do anything. God's not going to ever bless me. I've already done all this other stuff. No, listen, don't sit in your pity party. Don't sit in the pit of sexual sin. Don't get caught up in it. Don't let the devil defeat you. You can recommit your life and be forgiven and washed as clean as snow. He can do it. And so uh, let me give you an example. David, remember David in the Bible? He, he had an affair with Bathsheba. Maybe never heard this, this story. Had an affair with Bathsheba. Guess what? She got pregnant. This is in the Bible. Got pregnant. Guess what he decided to do? Well, she was already married, so he, he put the married husband on the front line of the war, and he was killed. So in other words, he murdered her husband. Then, you know, again, he, he gets her pregnant, kills her husband, but here's the thing that God did, and, and this is what he said about David. David was a man after my own heart. And you say, well, how can a guy that committed adultery, had somebody murdered, got some girl pregnant out of wedlock. How can that guy be called a, a man after God's own heart? Here's how. God doesn't, he doesn't desire perfection. He desires a person that knows when they sin, repents of that sin, and turns toward him. You say, can I get some clap on that? I mean, that's, that's good stuff. You say, okay, Bo, so what do I do from here on out? What do I do? If you have violated the guidelines that God has set for you, here's what you need to do. Here's what I've, I've had to do in my own life. You need to confess your sin. You need to repent. In other words, you need to turn from the sin that you are living in and turn toward God, and you need to implement a plan and some tools that we've given you to prevent future violations. That's what you need to do, and that's what we need to do, and it's only done through Christ. Some of you guys are already in a relationship right now, and I want to talk to you just for a second. If you're in a relationship right now that's unholy, and you, you've heard what we've talked about for the last couple of weeks, and you're thinking, well, I want to commit to being pure. I want to commit to doing that until I'm married. If you will communicate that with your, with your dating person, that you're, the person that you're dating, and, and if they agree to those standards, and that, then that's great. I want you guys to, you know, to have a great life. But here's the thing. If you're in a relationship it's in, and it's unholy and you commit to being you know, pure before you're married and the other person doesn't, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Run. It's not worth it. You say, well, I love this guy. I love this girl. It don't matter. If they're not committed to you now, who's, who's going to say they're going to be committed to you when you're married? If they don't love Jesus and they don't serve Jesus, they're not going to probably love Jesus or serve Jesus when you get married. I see it all the time. I see women. I see teenagers. I see men for the sake of love live a life of hell for about 45 years and then they get divorced so don't do it but some of you guys you're willing to commit to purity and i'm going to challenge you with this and again this isn't some church you know uh you know cheesy uh you know something or other here's here's what we're going to ask you to do if you're here today and you desire to commit 
to being pure and you're single, you're a teenager, you could be an 11-year-old, I don't care. If you're single today and you're going to commit to say, Bo, and to, to God, I, I want to remain pure until I'm, until I'm married. I want to remain sexually pure until I'm married. Um, we are going to ask you to sign a covenant of purity. You say, well, why do you do this? Why is this such a big deal? And again, it's, it's not a silly church ritual, and it's not something that, you know, again, God's, uh, here's why we do it. You know why we do it? Because this is the only thing that probably kept me from having sex. When I was, uh, I would say about 16 years old, my youth minister, he challenged me to sign this covenant to saying I would be sexually pure. You know what? I, I signed it. You know why I signed it? Because I, I wanted to serve the Lord and I want to be right with the Lord. But here's the other thing. I signed it so that my youth minister or somebody else could hold me accountable. Right? So they could look at me and say, Bo, you remember that what you signed? You keep him pure. It's accountability. And so maybe you're here today and you're an adult, you're a teenager or whatever. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. You can come grab one of these. I've got pink ones for the girls. I've got blue ones for the guys. And here's what it says. It says, today I make a covenant with my God, my family, my friends, and my future wife or husband to remain sexually pure until the day I say I do. I make this commitment because I believe that my body is not my own, but the Lord's. I also believe that true love does wait. Lord, grant me the strength to keep this covenant. Amen. That's what the covenant says, and if you're willing to sign it, we would love for you to do that. Now, here's the thing. We're not going to make a big deal about this in a church service, um, but here's what we're going to do. March the 3rd, which will be a Sunday night, we're going to have a, uh, a kind of a ceremony, um, and, and we're going to have a reception. If you sign one of these, we're, we want to recognize and celebrate that. Um, and it's going to be at the Saddle House. It'll be March the 3rd. We're going to invite you to come. We're going to celebrate that. We're going we're to honor you for your commitment. Here's what else we're going to do. In the next week or two, we're going to be talking about covenant marriage. And we're going to give those of you that are married an opportunity to renew your wedding vows. Yeah, some of you guys maybe got married, you know, in a, in a way that you knew wasn't right. You, you were lusting after each other like my parents were, and you got married, you know, in Vegas and by Elvis. <clears throat> and again, if you did, that can be godly too. I'm not saying that it's not right. But listen, and you want to renew your commitment, you want to do it with a godly foundation. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that. Um, we're going to have a covenant of marriage that we're going to challenge the people that are married to sign as well. And then on March the 3rd, alongside of the people that are going to commit to a covenant of purity, you're going to have an opportunity to renew your wedding vows. And we're going to do that at the Saddle House on March the 3rd that night. So if you want to be a part of that, if you want to sign one of these covenants today, again, just signing this ain't going to do you diddly squat. You have to have a plan. You have to, Im you have to implement the, the tools that God has set for you, okay? But if you want one of those, you want to take, take it with you, you can pray about it and, and, and come back. What's that? Here's, and yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. If you've already committed sexual sin, this is for you. You say, no, I've already done, I've already committed sexual sin. No, this is for you. We encourage everybody you know why? I wasn't, I mean, I, although I didn't have sex, I, there was a lot of things that I did wrong sexually with my mind. And so you say, well, I, I've already committed sexual sin. We, we ask you to, to recommit from this point on to living a life that is pure. And so it's for everybody. Um, so just, yeah, that's a great point. Thank you for bringing that up. Let's bow our head and close our eyes for just a second. We're going to wrap this up. I know that, that, that today is, is, it's been a little bit longer than what we normally talk about, but I don't, I don't care. Um, we, we felt, Heather and I felt, and we feel like it's our calling as, as the pastors of this church to equip you to do what God has asked you to do. We're never going to ask you to do something that we don't equip you to do. And so hopefully today, you're walking away, you single adults and you teenagers, you parents, hopefully you're walking away from these last two weeks with some tools 
and some principles that are godly that are going to help build that foundation and give you the tools that, it, that, are, that it's going to take to last till death do you part. And so that's our goal, that's our desire, and we hope that you will walk away from that today with that. Now here's the thing. I know I've, I've challenged some of you to, to sign this covenant. Maybe, maybe you're saying, well, I don't, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to do that. Listen, it's not embarrassing to be pure. Purity is not a dirty word. Being a virgin is not a dirty word. Our, our world has created that. But God says it's the blessing. It's, 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 a, it's a reward. And so, again, we challenge you. If you're single or if you're a teenager, if you're a single adult, you're 50 years old and you still desire to be married and you deal with these lusts just like everybody else, come sign a covenant so that we can help you remain pure. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. If you have questions, if you need uh, you know, advice or wisdom, we are here to provide that. And so come to us, come, maybe we can get together for lunch or something and we can go visit and, and give you, again, some more tools on how to remain pure until marriage. Lord, we just thank you for an opportunity to open your word. I thank you for every parent that's here, every teenager, every single adult, every married couple that's here. And Lord, I thank you for, for the word of God that you've given us to show us how to live our life in honor of you. Not in honor of the culture, not in honor of anything else, but how to live our life in honor of you. And so, Lord, today I pray that as we walk out of this place, that each person in here is walking out with tools that will help them to remain pure and committed till death do they part. And so, Lord, we thank you for giving us those tools, and may we apply those to our lives. It's in your holy name I pray. Amen. Thank you guys for being here.